The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz is only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live. I'm Doug Branson. This is Hornets Talk for the Hardcore Fan. It's Tuesday at 6 o'clock p.m., and we're talking Spygate. Nah, I'm just kidding. We're talking Deflategate. Nah, I'm just kidding. We're talking Hornets Talk, and I'm with uh, David Walker, writer for At The Hive. David, how you doing? I'm good, Doug. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Hive Talk Live, and visit us online at HiveTalkLive.com. Not you, Doug. Well, you can do that, too, but... Everyone I do. Else, I do yeah, it every day. Yeah, and make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes as well. And this is really important. Uh, it, we we kind of live and breathe on the five star iTunes rating. So if you could pop on there and just click the little the, the five star button, we'd really appreciate that as well. And make sure if you're on uh, Android or a Windows phone, you can uh, hit us up on Stitcher as well, Stitcher Radio, and take us on the go. So, David, uh, did you enjoy your Labor Day weekend? First of all. Good Labor Day weekend. We just hung around here, did some family time, and and grilled up some stuff. And you know the usual, nothing too crazy. Did some laboring actually. Yeah, it's always it's weird. You know, I, I'm always more tired after Labor Day, a day in which we were supposed to rest. Um, I watched. I did do one fun thing. I watched some slam, some old slam dunk contest. I texted you about this. Yes, I tried to warn you. Well, you I were was probably gonna- grilling. I, I was so proud of myself and my DVR because they automatically recorded. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. They just knew. <laughs> they just knew. Um, so I watched the two. I caught the 2000 uh, with Vince Carter, Trace McGrady, uh, Stevie Francis. And then I caught the 2001 slam dunk competition with the one and only Baron Davis. First of all, those slam dunk contests were brutal. You only got one replacement dunk. And... Baron Davis sort of not wasted his, but he had to use it in order to get to the finals. And then he tried to do the the blindfold dunk where he had kind of cut a little. Yeah, that didn't work too well. No, Desmond Mason. Better than Gerald Wallace's attempt, but certainly. It's true. But he was the, you know, Baron Davis was a favorite to win that. It could have been, it was sort of the, and, you know, unfortunately it was sort of the last blast for that Hornets franchise anyway. There were already rumblings that, that they were about to head out of town. But anyway, it was some good Labor Day stuff. Good on you, NBA TV, for for helping us out with that. Hey, we got a big guest in studio, Adi Joseph from Sporting News. He is the NBA editor for Sporting News. Adi, welcome. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, good. Why, well, what do you think about the digs? These are our new digs. This is season three of Hive Talk Live. So we, we always want to kind of pull the guests. Are you comfortable? How's the chair? How's the water? You're this doing is, all right. This is by by podcast standards. This is as professional as I've ever seen it. You got the the mixing board. Yeah, listen. three mics. Uh, you know, I'm not reaching over to grab David's mic. So it's this is this is the best digs <laughs> that, that I've thing? had. I, is that a thing? Is that what, is that what happens? <laughs> um, no. Well, I mean, you know, we're on SB Nation now. We're on at the Hive. We had to step up our game, um, but uh, we're glad to have you in. Uh, and and part of stepping up our game is bringing in smart basketball guys like you. So we appreciate having you. Well, I hope the next guest better, but <laughs> uh, NBA expert. That's right. Uh, so, so how are things at Sporting News this summer? It's it's been a, a little, probably more quiet than last summer, but still pretty exciting. Yeah, there not there hasn't been as many big things, but it's there's always news. The NBA is a every league now is a twelve month a year league, and 
So the off season hasn't really been relaxing, sort of like Labor Day. You expect to relax, and then you realize that there is no relaxing. So, um, but it's been a lot of fun, and it, this is actually my first year at Sporting News, my first year in Charlotte. So I'm, I'm really uh, excited to get get the next season. Where are you? Where were you before this? I was at USA Today up in near DC. Uh, covered a lot of Wizards games there. But so how does how does DC sports compare with your your experience so far with Charlotte sports? <laughs> I mean, you don't have Redskins fans, so that's, that's automatically a positive. Plus, <laughs> and, um, although there 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 is a contingent here, pre Carolina yeah. Panthers yeah. Redskins contingent. Still here. a lot of fans down here for sure. Not in the same. No, not the obviously. Same. <laughs> How about Wizards? How, you know, how's the Wizards versus Hornets? The Wizards. Atmosphere? The Wizards definitely uh, had their vocal crew, and I I really liked Wizards fans. It's just that. They were kind of drowned out because there were so many things going on, and uh, the Capitals had a large fan base, and the Nationals have a fan base. And here, you know, you you have two sport, two top level sports teams, and obviously, mm-hmm. like shout out Charlotte Knights, but um, <laughs> you know, they're not really a competitor for the Hornets. And so, I've actually, I, I've definitely been stopped and had people chat me up about the Hornets more here than I did with the Wizards there. So that's that's kind of encouraging. So. Yeah. That is a good way to look at it. I mean, D.C. is a – that's a good sports town. I mean, they, they got all the – everything covered there, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it's it's a weird sports town because there's a lot of transplants yeah. um, because so many people live in D.C. for four years or six years and then they're out with their political candidate. But um, there's definitely a, a strong passion, especially for the Redskins, and they kind of dominate in a way that I don't think the Panthers – completely have a monopoly on this city the way the Redskins do there. No, the, and and definitely I think the Hornets are making more headway into Panthers territory, more so than the Bobcats Well, did, you I came think. in with the Hornets, right? You yeah, were not yeah. around for the Bobcats. So, yeah, it, it, that definitely helped, as we've covered and has been has been exhausted at this point. But Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Adi, I was checking out your description on Sporting News, and it says you enjoy fundamental big man and inefficient shooting guards. So I think this is sort of a natural transition yeah, for yeah. you as, as to, you know, to be near yeah. the Hornets. Yeah, um, yeah. I love, I've been a longtime fan of Al's, and, uh, and Kemba probably had one of the most ridiculous and exciting college final seasons that I can remember where they were just unbeatable in tournaments for whatever reason. You know, and, he, and he, he's hit some big-time yeah. shots as a pro, and, and certainly it would be tough to describe his, his first couple of years as efficient. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's, it definitely fits your description. But uh, the Hornets have made a lot of moves to try to make that offense hum a little more, to get a little more efficient. You actually, uh, in the uh, off-season grades that you did for Sporting News, gave the Hornets a grade of B. So what were you what were you thinking there? Well, the Hornets, like you said, that all almost all of their moves, I actually I asked Steve Clifford, I said, you know, all offseason, everyone you brought in, offense first. Offense first guys, pretty much across the board. You could argue Hansborough's more just a rebounding first guy, but um so I said like how are you, you know, you're a defensive coach, you're a coach the whole formula for you has been defense. Now you have all these offensive-minded guys. And he said, well, I think this year I'm just going to pass the defense off to the assistants because I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> but there, uh, there's so much more offensive talent here, which is exactly what they needed. They they had a real problem with every time any of the core 
players was out, which happened a lot last year. Mm-hmm. You know, that they really needed someone who could create a shot. That's why Mo Williams was unbelievable. And Mo Williams, I mean, he's not that he's a very good role player, but he is not what he was in Charlotte. It's just that there was they were desperate. Desperate to have someone who could create his own shot. And now I think you've got, you know, even Kaminsky can really kind of create his own shot at a level that you didn't have a backup big man who could do that last year. And, um, you know, certainly Jeremy Lin off the dribble. There's a lot of reasons to not like Jeremy Lin, but there's also his off the dribble ability, which is very high level and should help. Uh, So I I think there's a lot to be positive about. There's definitely some questions, some overlap, some long-term concerns with this roster, but I thought they did the right things, and especially that I, I really am a big fan of the Michael Kidd Gilchrist contract. Yeah, and you know, you can kind of section that offseason out as as you always can, draft, free agency, and then some stuff they did on the trades. Um and, and assessing those and looking at the overall picture, you mentioned the MKG move, which you liked. Um were there any other things that maybe you liked or you didn't like especially or anything maybe that they could have done differently just from acquiring, you know, a player of a certain stature, I guess. Well, I think the Spencer Hawes trade looks kind of strange when they then went a, a week later or whatever, drafted Frank Kaminsky. Right. And certainly seems like Spencer doesn't really fit this team anymore with all the other moves they made. And, you know, at the time of the Spencer Hawes trade, it not only didn't seem like they would draft a guy like Kaminsky once they did that, but it also seemed at the time we, th- we thought Cody Zeller was on the block. We thought they were going to be maybe more trades, um, more than the smaller trades like the Jeremy Land one. Mm-hmm. And... So I think they maybe could have gotten more or some, or even something just different for Lance, but I certainly understand why they wanted to get Lance out. And the fact that they have two years left at six six point five million a year on for for Hawes isn't great. Um, and then the, <laughs> he'll have to he'll have to shoot like he did two years ago when he was on those really bad Cavs and Sixers teams. Uh, sure. I mean, if he was, does if he does that, then yeah, anyone I, wants him. Anyone, I think anyone that complained about that deal, uh, Lance for Spencer Hall, is probably was more concerned with the fact that Spencer has has so much money left yeah. on that contract as opposed to Lance. Yeah, you which was just, a favorable deal, but that's you know that's what you had to give up when yeah. a guy has historically, yeah, <laughs> historically bad efficiency yeah. numbers. And then the other worry for me um, was Batum. Being a free agent next offseason, right. it mm-hmm. gives him a chance mm-hmm. to bolt if he doesn't like this city. You know, he gets one year to – Charlotte has one year to win over Nick Batum, and then it's up to him what he does. And if they don't keep him and Noah Vonley becomes a pretty good player, that deal looks pretty short-sighted. If they do, if Batum sticks around, if Batum plays like he does for France – looks like a pretty good deal because he's a very, very skilled player. He just didn't always get a chance to show it in Portland. All right, so what you've been in Charlotte a year, right? Uh, less than that. L- a little less six than Six months or so. Okay, six months or so. So um, apart from basketball, what would you suggest uh, to for Nick Batum to do here in Charlotte uh, that would win <laughs> him over? Where, where have you eaten? Oh, um, I've eaten all over the place. I really <laughs> like uh, – I've liked a bunch of the barbecue places here, Bill Spoon's. There you uh, go. And, um, Midwood Smokehouse. Midwood Smokehouse, which, which I live near. Uh, some of the Southern Fair places like Dish. 
just as long as uh, Frank Kaminsky doesn't talk to Nick Batum about barbecue, <laughs> I think we'll be. I think we'll be all right. I don't know, man. Frank Kaminsky also said Cadoba and Chipotle are replaceable. So. <laughs> yeah, you're a burrito guy. So, <laughs> what's your what's your go to burrito in Charlotte? All right, um, I should probably get money to say this. But <laughs> <laughs> I really like uh, La Unica on uh, Central. Has a really good mm. burrito. Um, the tacos aren't the best tacos in Charlotte, but their burrito is really good, and uh, I'll I'll stand by that as a recommendation for all the Charlotte listeners. There you go. You hear that, La Unica? <laughs> I, I talk live. Um, <laughs> uh, we're joined by uh, Adi Joseph from Sport. He's the NBA editor at Sporting News. Um, let's talk about MKG. You you had a big write up on on him for Sporting News. Go check that out on SportingNews.com. Uh, you, you basically said that even without a reliable long-range shot, uh, he has the chance to be a, a corner piece for this franchise. Why do you think that's the case? Well, there's just so few guys who can defend like him. Um, Kawhi Leonard can defend like him. Paul George, when he's healthy and not holding such a huge role in the offense, can. But um, having a player like MKG at a position that I think gets a little underrated sometimes. There's a lot of good small forwards out there right now. Mm -hmm. And MKG is strong enough and physical enough and willing enough that he can play the four and quick enough that he can play the two so he can at least defend three positions, maybe even the point guard a little bit. That's a really rare player. And he's really smart on the court. He's really aggressive and he understands what his skills and limitations are. And I think it would be amazing if he could, you know, shoot, hit 37, 38% on smart open three-pointers. That would be amazing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But even if he can't do that, you can still build with him because he's really smart and crafty about getting those buckets. How many how many crazy layups does he hit? In transition. Things uh, that you don't even – like backdoor plays that you don't even see coming and yeah. suddenly – MKG's just at the rim throwing up something over his head like you didn't even expect it to happen. You can't really teach that, and he's he's instinctive, and now they have all these big guys that can shoot, so maybe they can help create that spacing that the team lacked so much last year. Yeah, and to your point, he's so smart in what he in what he can't do. So over yeah. the last especially last year, zero three pointers. Even the year before that, though, he didn't take a lot of those even mid-range or, or jump shots. So, I mean, you just don't see it. And he's 21 years old. Yeah. You know, to, so to your point, it made a lot of sense. And uh, a lot of people around the league are starting to see that guy as, you know, the best perimeter defender in the league. Who doesn't take a three-pointer? <laughs> in this day and age. DeAndre Jordan took a three-pointer. <laughs> yeah. But, I think and, Big Al had two attempts <laughs> last season. No, he just he knows he knows. Well, and and the thing with him is it was all about confidence. Yeah, you know he did nothing. He didn't want to do anything. I think to to knock him off of a of a rhythm or a game or anything like that. Um, yeah, this season I think is going to be so interesting for the Hornets because it's really going to hinge on guys incrementally improving their game, like Cody Zeller and like MKG trying to extend and and have some kind of long range game. Um. And it's going to hinge on guys that kind of had weird years last year. So Batum and Hawes, if he makes a rotation, and Al had a weird year last year. So even Kemba kind of did. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I, I think it's it's. I don't know if you would say they have the biggest question marks or whatever in the in the thirty teams, but I mean, just so many ways this thing could go. 
Like there's there's teams in the league that are pretty locked in. Like you kind of yeah. know where where that ship's heading. Well, I, yeah, I don't like you. Like you said, I don't know. And you look at it from a from a league wide perspective. But I think Doug's right in that you know, like you said, they they made a lot of good moves and it could work out. But there's just so many unknowns. It's hard to say, right? Hornets and the the Heat are the two teams that just seem and the Pacers actually those three teams. Yeah, Hornets, Heat, Pacers, three teams that entered last season pretty much feeling very confident they'd make the playoffs and all ended up out. Well, the Heat, it was all health. I think we can agree that a healthy Chris Bosh, a full year of Goran Dragic, full year of Dwayne Wade, full year of Hassan Whiteside, they should be in the playoffs. It would be kind of crazy if they don't make it. But the Pacers are taking massive gambles. They're going to play Paul George at the four. Um, Monta. So, yeah. You, know, you got to fig- figure out a way to fit him in. Who knows what the Pacers are doing? Um, it's not exactly clear, but they have a lot of talent. And that's kind of how I feel about the Hornets, where if it all comes together, if if three or four of those new additions prove to be that depth that they need, if Cody Zeller, like you said, can shoot a little better from deep, um, suddenly the Hornets have a, a pretty interesting team. And you know Clifford's going to coach him up on defense. So that shouldn't be an issue. It's just a matter of... Um, finding the right rotation and finding offense beyond Kemba Walker doing whatever he wants to do. Which I mean, he's got the, what, what did, uh, who said he had the ultimate green light? Yeah. Uh, maybe John Wall. Somebody said, somebody interviewed and said he had the, he was one of the toughest guys to guard in the league because he had the ultimate do whatever the hell you want to <laughs> light. And he, I mean, you know, He's so he's he so for he's, good reason. He's so been a lot yeah. Of, he he's so been on the crafty. floor with a lot of other people that would have a, a green light. That's true. Uh, well, he'll be on the floor uh, with Jeremy Lin, according to Steve Clifford. They're going with this, or, or they'll they will go at times with a dual point guard lineup. What are your feelings, just philosophically, generally on a on the dual point guard lineups that have become kind of a fad since you know eleven, twelve? I think it could work because. One thing I looked up um, a few months ago was last season, Kemba shot something like 24% off the dribble threes, on off the dribble threes, and 33% on on catch and shoot threes. And that's a pretty huge gap. Yeah. And basically that's the difference between a reasonably efficient three-point shooter and a terrible three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. And if you take the ball out of Kemba's hands but promise him you'll get it, you're going to score for us, we just don't need you to necessarily – do everything to mm-hmm. get that point. I think that can help his game. And I, I think in general teams are realizing that this, this super fast paced run, you know, six seconds or less NBA that doesn't really exist as much as some people like to claim it does, but it's certainly moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. You kind of need more ball handlers. You need more players who can be, be flexible and do a lot of things. And that's, that to me is also the real advantage to adding Batum because whether he and MKG are playing the three and the four or the two and the three, Batum can do everything. There's nothing on a basketball court that guy can't do. Um, and if you give him the confidence and the kind of role I expect he'll have, he'll help out. Because in a lot of ways, he's sort of like a giant point guard. Yeah, where does I mean, where does Kemba stack up for you? I mean, he's not in certainly not elite level. Probably not even in the in that second tier. But you know, his defenders would say he had not a lot of help. He's been out there doing a lot of stuff on his own. This will probably be his most talented group this year. But his detractors say, well, his efficiency is not great. He's got issues that, you know, you really can't solve and just that his size. But it sounds like you have a little soft spot for him, at least going back to UConn. I mean, where does he stack up? I guess 
you know, they gave him the extension, um, which makes more and more sense as we get closer and closer to that salary cap blowing up. But how do you see Kimba Walker playing out maybe past this year for, for the Hornets? It's interesting because if you listen to Clifford, Kemba Walker is one of the best defensive point guards in the league. <laughs> and um, if you look at the numbers, he's probably more closer to slightly above average, but certainly not in the John Wall, Patrick Beverly range of best defensive point guards. Uh, the defense is, though, an important factor because there are a lot of point guards who just don't play any. So mm. Kemba definitely works. He tries. He's annoying as all heck to to have on you because he's so aggressive and um that helps and then i think his natural ability as a ball handler and that he might shoot at any second thing that uh whichever point guard it was described the ultimate green light Mm -hmm. certainly make him he no one wants to match up against him but at the same time then he he shoots himself in the foot by shooting really bad shots sometimes like just just shots that you go Kemba you had you know 14 seconds left on the shot clock you didn't need to take that one and uh that's that's where I'd like to see him rein himself in now that he has all these more more talented offensive weapons around him and if he can do that then maybe he can be a Mike Conley level player or maybe not quite as good as Mike Conley but there were a lot of critics of Conley early in his career that have since realized that, you know, once he got a talented Grizzlies team around him, he he knew what to do with it. I, I think what's what's going to be most interesting about this season in terms of Kemba Walker's production and his efficiency is how he operates if this team can finally, if the team's offense can finally get into a reasonable pace. Because he's it seems like he's always played in these really slow-paced offenses because of partly because of the personnel that's around him but you add a guy like Batum you add Jeremy Lin who who he'll play side by side a little bit with all of a sudden the pace gets going a little bit more that plays more to MKG's strengths and I think it'll ultimately play into Kimba Walker's hands as well so I think that's most interesting because I think back to when he would play alongside Ramon Sessions, and Ramon Sessions was a guy that that could get it and 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 you know score in under uh, ten seconds and uh, really get the pace going as well. And I remember that being somewhat effective, much more effective than than playing him with Brian Roberts in those small lineups last <laughs> season. Uh, but I mean, he's played with guys like Brian and Gerald, who who grind the pace to a halt. So I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, and I, I'm excited too. You didn't mention him, but Jeremy Lamb. Yes, that's as a guy from college. I mean. The best moments of Kemba Walker's life were shared with then-freshman Jeremy Lamb. So I think that's a kind of cool thing to to bring him in. And they basically brought him in for nothing. So that Yeah, was- I was going to mention that when, when Doug was going through that as well. We're, for, we talked about this last week, but I need to see a little more from Lamb, to, as I'm sure most people do. Yeah. But I'm not quite sure. You know, it's a good it's a good flyer for the Hornets to take, but – I guess he falls into that big category. Of they we just don't really know yet what he'll bring to the table. Scott Brooks's rotations are some of the most confounding things of the NBA in the last five years, and guys got lost, and Nick Collison got a ton of minutes, and you know the Russell Westbrook squiggle line it's, play. It's yeah, uh, figuring out exactly. You know Perry Ellis is going is now in Boston, and he, uh, Perry Jones. I'm sorry, Perry Jones is now in Boston, and he for like five minutes looked like he'd be a good player for the Thunder and then Brooks forgot him and 
Jeremy Lamb is very much the same way, where every once in a while he'd show you something and you'd say, yeah, there's the player I remember them drafting, and then he'd just disappear. And So what is Jeremy Lamb? I think Jeremy Lamb doesn't even know that for sure. I don't know that he can answer if he's a an NBA caliber small a shooting guard, if he'll be in the NBA in five years. But that's kind of what this this year is really important for him in that in that sense. I just wonder how he feels about being in Charlotte. You see the, the sort of pictures when he got signed. That's his look, though. Is it? His player yeah, he's... picture, he's smiling. <laughs> he doesn't have the Frank Kaminsky player picture. <laughs> I just want I just want to know because, you know, you hear all these things from Jeremy Lin about he's happy to be in Charlotte, blah, blah, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we haven't heard anything from Jeremy Lin. I'm just wondering. Well, it's not like he tossed, I'm not it's speculating. Not like he, not like he tossed his jersey down. I'm not speculating, know, uh, David. I'm just wondering. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm sure Kemba told him good things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's happy to be with his buddy. Yeah. Let's hope. Let's hope. That's the recipe. So you look at this you look at this roster, you look at the Hornets, the the upgrades that they made, uh the offseason moves. Do you project them as a playoff team in fifteen, sixteen? Project no. Um I'm I'm putting them on the outside still. I've got it's kind of a mess. It's it's uh it's hard to understand exactly why the Celtics were so good down the stretch, but mm-hmm. it's also hard to imagine them being all that much worse. Stevens mm-hmm. is a great coach. Uh, it's hard to imagine the Hornets having those kind of injury problems again, though. And certainly if Al Jeffrey, if you tell me that Al, MKG, and Kemba are going to play more than 72 games, then I'm putting them in. But I don't know that why I should believe that. Those guys have been injured a lot. And that's that's going to be a big, big, big factor that we can't really project is can these guys just stay healthy? Um, I mean, MKG in particular, it would be really nice to see what he could do in, in 75, 80 games. Adi Joseph, NBA editor for Sporting News. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Now, we're going to say goodbye to Adi. I'm going to play a little music. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Hive Talk Live. We just talked to Adi Joseph from Sporting News. He's the NBA editor over there. Some interesting things to say about the Hornets. He didn't project them to be a playoff team. I think, you know, there there are so many question marks around the team that I really can't blame anyone for not doing that. No, and they're right there in that group. I mean, that's what we talked about. So many things, so many unanswered questions that no one can really know exactly how they're going to play. And I think injuries is probably the biggest thing. Uh, you would think after the season they had last year, that they maybe can can get a, a season without a lot of those injuries. But as he mentioned, I mean, if Al, MKG, Kemba, if they miss significant time, it's going to be hard for the Hornets to to make that playoff spot again. They're, I mean, most people are, are putting them in that, you know, six, seven, eight jumble of teams trying to get in there, you know? Yeah, and, and as we learned last season, so much of it comes down to are you staying healthy do you have any chemistry? Yeah. You know, and I think if if both of those things are even somewhat true for the Hornets, they have enough talent. They have enough top 100 talent. We'll get to that in a moment. Sports Illustrated top 100, which Hornets made it. Yeah, I think they have enough uh, yeah. talent to yeah. get there. I don't think that's the issue. I think one thing we didn't touch on was, you know, he mentioned Clifford is definitely going to coach him up on defense, but this is going to be the most – options that the team and the coaching staff had have had on offense as well so they're gonna have to it's not like they you you don't want to say well they don't have any excuses if they don't produce a good offensive product because they're still going to be limited on some of the stuff they can do but they're gonna have so much more help this year and so many more 
or just additional playmakers that they can put in there that it should be better. But now Clifford and, and, and the staff have got to find those spots. Speaking of playmakers, our latest video breakdown covered one of the most or what will be one of the most important playmakers to this Hornets roster, and that's Nick Batum. That's right. You had a lot of fun doing that. That was great. I love watching Nick Batum. Well, it's easy. <laughs> it's it's be... easy to watch him. It's easy to talk about him because, again, he does so many different things. It's he's not a one-dimensional player. You're not just watching a jump shooter. Yeah. So it, it is really fun. And I think honestly, you like look at the guys that the Hornets brought in. Number one, a lot of them are from the Western Conference. That probably you know you look at the top ten in that SI top one hundred. Nine of them are from the Western Conference. One of them is named LeBron James. So it's like, that's not a bad thing to go out and get Western Conference players. But they also went out and got guys that are fun to watch because they do different things, because they're dynamic, because they're not afraid. And Clifford has said, yes, we like the shooting. We want more offense. But Lynn and Batum especially another couple guys that can create for themselves and for other people. And like you said, we hit on some of that in the video. So go check that out uh, up on the site on, on um, at the hive. At the hive. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's what we in the business call. That was a toss there. A little me and you finishing each, each other's sentences. That's, that's called, are. that's, that's called are. rapport. Um, I want to go back before we get into this SI top 100. I want to talk about this dual point guard lineup because a lot of people want to talk about it. They're, they're, I think a lot of people are interested to see how it's going to work. It's going to be an option. I mean, right? It's going to be an option. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it it will be, again, you you look for matchups. You look for substitutions. You look for areas where you can get small when it's advantageous to you. You don't just get small to get small. Um, so there will be moments where it happens. W- what I'm interested in is two things. The dynamic between Kimba and because I think this is important, the dynamic between Kemba and Jeremy Lin, and what I mean by that is, what is the what is what is Kemba doing when Lin has the ball? What is Lin doing when when Kemba has the ball? Because Kemba's been in dual point guard lineups before. He he was with Ramon Sessions, and then he played a little bit with Mo. You know, a little hampered by the the fact that he was injured for a while. Yeah. Um, but we also saw him play with Brian, and again, you know, different guys have different skill sets, and when you mix and match those together, it's interesting. Uh, some research has been done on dual point guard lineups, and, and the, the tendency is it in small doses it's good, in big doses it's bad. It will it, it will help your offensive rating. It will help your pace significantly, but it does hurt your defense in most cases. Uh, in fact, I mean, you look at you look at lineups like the the Celtics had with Rondo and Avery Bradley when you got two defensive guys. It actually didn't work because the whole point of the dual point guard lineup is to to kind of shoot your offense in the arm. And when it when it can't do that, then you've got a little bit of an issue because you're gonna be small by virtue of being a dual point guard lineup. Uh so it's just a lot. Of, I think it'll be very interesting. You know, when Jeremy Lynn played with Clarkson last year, I was kind of looking at some tape and looking at what those guys did. It made the Lakers offense slightly less terrible. Uh and and Lynn, I think, shot 60 plus percent from beyond the arc when he got an assist from Clarkson. So if Kimba can, you know, sort of work, I think Lynn's the same way. He's, I think he's a better catch and shoot guy than he is off the dribble. Most guys are, yeah. especially from three. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting. You know, what what won't work, I think, is if Kimba can't get the ball. Because if Kimba has to just stand around and watch Lynn 
move and groove, it's going to be similar to some of Lance's struggles with Kemba, where right. where Lance couldn't get the ball, and and he had to sort of you know whenever he did get the ball, he danced and did some 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 kind of odd things. And it's going to be adjustment. You know, they have done it. Obviously, they haven't done it together. But you're right; they're going to have to get used to that, and they're just going to pick their spots. I think, especially early on, you know, when to put that uh, when to put that duo on the floor at the same time. But from a defensive standpoint as well, you've got Jeremy Lin who who can extend on the on the perimeter on defense as that's well. The, that's the next video. That you <laughs> it did. is. You're right. So, but and I think that's an interesting point, David. It's what I think will ultimately make this dual point guard lineup work is because well not only because both of these guys can defend the perimeter pretty well but it's the question is like who who ends up being behind them you know if mkg or batum is at the three then you've got a guy that 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 second level can stop penetration can help yeah Uh, i mean how did now if 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 al jefferson's out there on the other hand then there could be some, there could be some issues because you don't have that like quick, you know, weak side help. It's going to be interesting. You're right. I mean, who else is going to be out there with them? You got to think, you got to think they're going to be geared towards a a quicker overall lineup. Right? I should have had the speculation music just ready because we're just speculating. We're just throwing stuff against the wall. Well, because and that's you know that's that's what this is all about. Yeah. Like football's creeping up. Uh, you know, you got to. <laughs> You got to sort of reach and find some find some different things to speculate about. Well, we'll know soon soon enough. I mean, we are within a month of uh, preseason games. Was like forty eight days or something. I can't watch Euro basketball though. I'm sorry. I know it's like real bad. People on Twitter talk about like oh real basketball. I just can't. I try and and I watch the highlights. I watch like the vines that come from Wiggins dunking on guy. I just can't get into Euro basket. I haven't watched any of it. I um I think I'm I'm. I'm 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 just taking a break right now and waiting for the real thing. That's I'll watch fun. a preseason game. I'll watch the first preseason game. I'll watch the rest of them too. Okay, I'm a liar, but I'll watch some of them. Well, it's a, it's a question of can you? Because the preseason, the NBA preseason, is such a why is why is that? This why is so is weird to me. Like the NFL banks on preseason. That's how they the hype machine is is in full force before the preseason. Just online, right? You should be able to get it online. Amazing. It, with League Pass this year, apparently you can you can get select preseason. That's like what? Why get no. all preseason? I don't want. It. I know. I know. Like the general public is not. But I just I think if you're if you're trying to, and this is a problem. I, I railed on this last season because there were there were Hornets games that weren't televised, and I'm like, look, if you're trying to hype up your season, especially your first season as the Hornets, why not? Why can't people access? The games, and I assume the, the 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 games in China will be on MT, NBA TV. I'm guessing. So you at least right, have, you you'll least, have those. Yeah, I think you at least it, you would at least have those. So and you'll then, probably be able to see more than you usually would. Probably, you're probably right. All right, let's. Uh, we do have other things to talk about. This SI Sports Illustrated Top 100 NBA Players came out uh, uh, late last week, and it brings us to our first. Hornets hot, or really our only Hornets hot topic. Hansel, so hot right now. Hansel. All right, so three Hornets made the top 100 NBA players, according to Sports Illustrated. Uh, I, I may get this name wrong, excuse me, but Rob Mahone and Ben Golliver 
yep. compiling this. I don't know. It's Mahoney, Mahone, compiling this list. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, we had zero players in the top 25. We had one player in the top 53, again, in the top 100. Just kind of run down the list here. MKG slots in at 85 after not appearing on the list last year. That's huge. It Sorry really, to interrupt you, but that, no, that it, is huge. No, you're right. You're right. It really is. Uh, because, again, it's all about seeing your young guys improve. And, and in MKG's case, to get that recognition. Oh, hold on. Let me let me get through this because I have some things to say, but I, I want to save it. Nick Batum uh, coming in at 55, New Hornet. Uh, last year he was 43, so he's fallen off a little bit. We'll talk about why. Al Jefferson at 47, he's fallen off a lot. Uh, after being rated just outside the top 25. Understandable. At number 26 last year. Yes. Um, let's let's go player to player, and then we'll sort of give some overall thoughts at the end. So let's start with MKG. He actually, uh, David, he beat out sort of his natural counterpart, the guy that he's compared to most often, uh, the, the grind father, Tony Allen, who wasn't ranked at all. So hmm. this could be sort of a passing of the torch. Well, let me tell you, he's not going to be happy about that. Who? Tony Allen. <laughs> He's he's yelling at a little kid at his basketball camp as we speak. But but for MKG and and no 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 shots to the grindfather there of course. But for MKG this is massive coming off of that contract extension and and some of the you know the negative backlash towards that. And again we talked about this when that happened. If you're saying this guy is you know is not useful is not valuable because he doesn't have a jump shot quote unquote then. This should just be more proof that you're not looking at it the right way. He is one of the, if not the best, best wing defenders in the NBA. He's not even 22 years old yet. And for him to lock down or for him to anchor this defense last year, which was ninth in the league, says so much about him. And he's only going to get better. I mean, health is the biggest concern in my eyes, I think. I'm not even really concerned about the offense because a lot of stuff we talked about with Adi, he contributes on offense and he doesn't play into uh, doing things that he does not do well. Well, And he is, according to the team, he is trying to add that corner three. I that's mean, all he needs. That's all you're yeah, you're you're not asking him to to do a dribble pull up, you know, from above the break. You're asking him to just be available for, you know, an offensive rebound opportunity to take one step back and knock down that corner three. And and if he can do that, and again, it won't be he's not gonna not you know, if he does try to implement it, you know it's going to be a few here, a few there. It's not gonna it's not going to be a a consistent night in, night out kind of thing. Um, in the thirty low thirty percent. But it, but the thing <laughs> in, is, the thing is, if he if he does that, if then, he, yeah. if he does that, then guys will the, the, the guys will start writing. Whoa, watch out. Yeah. Oh, that would that would be amazing. I mean, and that would be a significant jump. I mean, because we talk about that's not very good, quote unquote good, but it's basically the best that the Hornets had last year. Because Marvin was what about thirty six or thirty seven percent from three? Well, again, you know, if you hit one of three three pointers, you got three points. If you hit 
60 or 66% of your two pointers, you've only got one more point. So he should be shooting all threes. I don't know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm saying the same thing that these, that, that stat guys have been saying forever, yeah. that if you can get 30% of your threes, yeah, you miss two shots, but you're only down one point to if you had shot 66% from the places that MKG shoots from. Look, if he makes a couple, then those guys are not going to be able to basically stand in the paint when he's got the ball out there. It's going to take a year of that, though. That's a, you know yeah. that's what you have to like. It's not it's, for some reason these adjustments they just take guys seeing it in their because they weren't adjusting to MKG being able to hit a jump shot at all until the very end of the year. You're right. Um, so it has to happen early, and it has to happen somewhat consistently over a year for then the scouting reports to roll in and say, okay, maybe we should maybe we should start sending a guy out. But again, it's got to start somewhere. So, all right, only, Nick, only twenty-one. It's amazing, <laughs> I, and and I could see him. I don't think he gets to the fifties next year, but if he continues this trend, if he stays healthy, that's another key thing too. What one thing I do love about this, and sort of again, the passing of the torch between Tony Allen and MKG. MKG doesn't steal the ball a lot. He doesn't, and this is part of the reason it's so tough for him to get on these All NBA teams. He doesn't get a lot of blocks. He is just a, a really great on-ball defender, keeps you from getting to the rim, really frustrates you, makes you take a bad shot. And with the Hornets, they're a great rebounding team, okay? So a bad shot is essentially a steal because you're 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 getting the possession anyway. Well, and it, turns, it turns into instant offense if MKG gets it because he can go. Right. Exactly. Exactly, and he and he's a pretty good offensive rebounder as well. He's one of the only guys with the green light to to get offensive rebounds. So again, all of those things are the the secrets. He's the secret weapon, right? I mean, MKG is the Hornets' secret weapon, and those are are part of the reasons why. Because again, you can't track those. Yeah, the, the, so. it's good. It's good that we have Nick Batum. It's good uh, if Kemba can stay healthy because those are guys that can pick up steals, that can you know uh, pick up those blocks and, and turn those into transition buckets for MKG. Yeah, and hopefully there can be some more bodies that go in there because you look at this, 78 games played his first year, 62 the following year, 55 last year. So you don't want that trend to continue. No, just pick up 20. Just play 75. Yeah, I don't think MKG is ever going to play 82. This, that this is not going to happen. This is the way he plays. He's going to get dinged up. Yeah. He's going to, again, Adi talked about it earlier. These layups that he makes, he throws his body at the rim. Whew. All right, Nick Batum at 55, again, falling uh, from 43 to 55. You talked about it in your video breakdown, David. There was the wrist injury. That obviously hurt his, his numbers pre-All-Star game. Like if we're talking about post-All-Star Nick Batum, he's probably ranked 43. Pre All Star, yeah, if not higher. I mean, right. He was doing some, probably not that much higher, but yeah, he was doing some great things post All Star game and towards the end of the season when he was again healthy. I mean, if you're shooting and your wrist hurts, that's that's not going to be good. And he just wasn't healthy uh, to start the season, and particularly three point percentage, field goal percentage was way down um, in the first part of that year, and and that's what people were looking at. But it goes to show you also how how good he can be that he didn't you know he, what he fall seven spots or something that seems correct yeah listen i didn't get into <laughs> i didn't get into sports radio because i'm delicious at math he fell he fell a few spots but not 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 too far and um coming over into the eastern conference like you said 
He's battle tested, and we went over it on the video. I mean, he was not the third option out there. He was a lot of times, well, the third or fourth a lot of times offensively, and he's going to be first or second, you know, sometimes third on this team, but he, he's going to be a lot yeah, more on the think spotlight. Of, like, really think about that, okay? When, when, when Wesley Matthews had it going, he was the fourth option on that team. Mm-hmm. Still manages to rank 55. Right. Because there's that there's that much respect for what he does as a basketball player. 6'8", can handle, can create. Can defend. Can defend. I mean, he and MKG had, on the wings are that wing combo defensively that you thought we were getting in, in Lance and MKG, but this is this is legit. Had I mean, more, I think he had a steal, uh, 1.7 steals or something like that, more than a steal and a half last year. So again, he's going to create that where... Uh, or or more of that than Gerald, more of that than Lance, and he'll get back on defense. Watch out, Nick Batum. That's a good, ranking. That's a good guy, ranking for him, though. There's one guy that's going to have a big year. I, I really think it's Nick Batum. You just hope he you, you just hope he likes Charlotte again. You hope he really enjoys Midwood Smokehouse, as Adi said. You hope Cho, you know that connection. It's, there seems to be something there. I mean, there seems to be some connection from those Portland days. Um. Whether or not you know they were trying to do this for a while, that it show in the Hornets. I mean, um, but there seems to be some connection there, and they've just got to foster that throughout the year. Listen to this line. So I was surprised because Ben Golliver is is the the Portland. He came from the SB Nation, if I'm not mistaken. He came from the SB Nation Portland blog, and uh, so he didn't do the Batum though. He did. Uh, Rob Mahone did this, but listen to this sentence. Batum catalyzes. He takes what a possession gives him and rings out more, turning a simple kickout into an engine for adaptable offense. That's some, that's a tasty worder in. And he assisted on better than twenty percent of his teammates' field goals while on the floor each of the last three seasons. An engine for adaptable offense. This offense is going to adapt, and the way they they need to adapt is to become an actual offense. So Batum... <laughs> At least watchable. They need to play offense. Uh, so I, I think that Batum is going to help, is definitely going to help with that. Um, and, and that's really... And, and again, you went over it in the video. This is, should this should reinforce for you, David, that you're smart by reading this because it says every... If you needed that, I don't know. I'll take what I can get. Every half-court possession demands that players make critical decisions in an instant. Within that fraction of a second, Batum often finds the time to play chess with the defense, and that's sort of what you went over in the video, that he he makes these incredible decisions and, and, and executes them really well, again, within a fraction of a second. Yeah, he that's really he does. Needs. He really does. He, he sees what the defense uh, gives him, and then, you know, like like you said, he'll draw in the guy and, and, and dish it out for an open three or, or, or a close-in shot to a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge. As we said in the video, those guys are not in Charlotte, but uh, Batum is going to bring the same thing to the table here. All right, last but not least, Big Al again. He was right outside the top 25. He falls now to, what did I say, 47? 47. So he dropped about 21 spots. If he could drop 21 pounds, I think Uh, he moves uh, up 21 spots. uh, (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Uh, but I'm not saying anything that he doesn't know. I'm not saying anything that the coaching staff doesn't know. It's not a secret. Who did I? Who was I talking to? 
some, somebody mentioned a great, oh no, it was on the Zach Lowe podcast with Stephanie Rennie mentioned a great story about the, a time that he talked to Paul Silas. Yeah. And he said, was, what am I supposed to do? All these guys came in. Fat. <laughs> <laughs> They're all fat. You knew the story. It's a good story. I, I just, I can't get over that. I love that. What am I supposed to do? All these guys came in fat. They're all fat. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a, to, again, we talked about this, I think, the last show. You rarely get that with NBA coaches. Baseball coaches will do that. Football coaches, you know, we, we, uh, we had the drops last show. Um, well, you wonder when uh, Silas's mindset flipped from, we're going to see what we can work out here, too. <laughs> yeah. I know what's going on here. They're all fat, and I'm limited. I don't think that Steve Clifford could ever get to that. He just, he's too. He, I've seen, we saw him get frustrated last year. Sure. He's human. And and in fact, I, I believe during the the last game, the last post game conference, he was pretty frustrated with 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 how it all ended. But I but I just don't think he would ever say something like that. He just seems too a little too. I don't think so. Completely completely different uh, team, you know, team philosophy and, and team surroundings, of course. But hey, Paul Silas still shows up to Hornets games, still sitting in the sands. So he's a legend. Oh, well, his son, you know, coaches. So that, yeah, that makes. But hey, I love Paul Silas. I loved him, and and the candor is what made made you love him. Uh, and and because he fought Tyrus Thomas, he did what we all wanted to do, which is fight Tyrus Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. All right, Big Al Jefferson uh, again, ranked forty seven here in this uh, Sports Illustrated Top one hundred list. That's what we're talking about. And Doug, a couple guys around him. You know, uh-huh. I think it's interesting. Greg Monroe at forty eight. Uh, Zach Randolph at 49, and I was looking for guys that are kind of his position as well. Um, those are two guys, though, that, you know, I don't know if a lot of people might put Al above those guys. Certainly not on. Well, so this shows me there, there's two things going on here. One, this is a reflection of the disappointing season that he had. But if you read the the description, let me read it for you. Uh, with as hard as it is to survive on high-volume post-play given the space-eating style of modern NBA defenses, Jefferson further complicates matters by scoring in a specific way from a specific space. So maybe part of this is sort of a reflection of the changing trends in NBA lineups where guys like Big Al can't just come in and, and do their thing, Shaq style. Yeah, like you have to be able to, and and Zach Randolph uh, can do that a little bit. He can extend out. He can shoot. I I don't think they give Big Al enough credit in this for his ability to shoot. Although, again, part of that is the performance last year. Uh, You know, he did stick to the left block, as this says, almost exclusively. So he will have to move around a little bit more. Hopefully, again, if he can lose a little bit of weight, then he can do that. And 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 become you know a little better shooter uh, from outside the paint. I, I think it's going to be twenty pounds. That, that's my guess for the uh, announced weight loss once we hit preseason. I'm going to say twenty pounds. But what announced <laughs> announced know. weight loss? What is this? I mean, I'm not the biggest loser. They're going to put them up on like a giant scale. No, they're not. But what was the goal? Twenty five. I'm not sure. Twenty. I think it's 25. I don't know. 
I think tw- I think tw- you'd be happy with 20. You'd be thrilled with 20. <laughs> you'd be thrilled. Okay, but he can hit – you know, he can give you 20-10 on any given night, and that's not an easy thing to do, and that's why Jefferson's still top 50 player. Yep. Are you okay with all of these? I am. I'm pretty okay with these. Yeah. I don't think I would rank Batum ahead of Big Al at this point because maybe after this season, if Batum – because Batum, no, you yeah. can't. I mean, he does a lot of more, he does more things well, I guess, or he brings more to the table. But he hasn't but. had the opportunity this season. He'll yeah. have the opportunity. It's a lot like Lance. It's eerily, it's it's, and it kind of makes me worry a little bit. It's eerily similar to the situation with Lance, where Clifford's going to ask him to do a lot of different things, and he's going to have a lot more responsibility. Yeah, more of a track, more of a, a larger sample size with Batum, I think. True, but not. I just. Not in this particular situation, though. Right. No, no, no. Certainly not. But yeah, I'm good with that. I mean, I think you got to put Big Al there because you got to assume, uh, well, look, you look back two years ago, healthy Big Al was a force. So, I mean, th- that's a lot of where this ranking is coming from. Healthy Big Al and Big Al that didn't feel, I think, the pressure to carry or, you know, didn't feel an immense pressure to carry the off. I think that's what was going on last season too, is like he, he felt this pressure to really make a play and he wasn't passing out of those double teams. And there weren't a lot of shooters, so there were more double teams. Yeah. And it kind of just snowballed from there. Um, but you got I mean, you know, if you're a big guy, you got to pass out of those double teams. All right, real quick, uh, we got uh, Stephanie Reddy on Zach Lowe uh, podcast. We got to get to that. Um but I wanted to get to – I just – I kind of had a random thought, David. If you'll allow me, I had a little random tangent. I was thinking about all of Jeremy Lin's followers on Twitter, 1.47 million followers. Mm. And I got to thinking, like, how are the follower numbers for the rest of this Hornets squad? Who would be the Hornets' top five Twitter followers, your, your starting five of Twitter because I really didn't know. I really have never taken the time to see what the what the other follower numbers are. So I'm going to let you real quickly guess the other four top followed Hornets. So we're going top five or top four. Top four because Jeremy Lin. Number one. Yeah. <sighs> Boy, this – and I obviously did not look this up. No, I didn't even tell you I was going to do this. All right. Cody Zeller. Oh, man. Okay, no Cody Zeller. I'm gonna go MKG. Really? Okay. MKG is 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 top five. Kimba. Kimba is top five. You've got three now. We don't have Lance anymore. He'll never get the fifth one. So it would take you too long. (laughs) Give me one more. Spencer Hawes. Oh my God! All of you. <laughs> now, uh, actually, again, the international flavor, Nick Batum. Ah, uh, that's my next guess. So, so uh, you got MKG, Kemba Batum, and, and Aaron Harrison. Kentucky. I'm not. I'm Big not. Yeah. Big blue. Way to go, guys. Uh, so the numbers stack up like this: 1.47 million for Jeremy, 538,000 for Batum. Kimba comes in next at 282,000 and then MKG right under him at 262,000, Aaron Harrison at 169,000 edging out Frank Kaminsky at 134,000. Yeah. Zeller is about at 100. He's the next. So, that was horrible go. guessing, but scintillating radio, I'm assuming. 
Hey, listen. I'm just this. It's a <laughs> no, little, a little bit of knowledge. I just I, I was drawing a blank. I was oh, actually looking at it. Amazing. <laughs> that's all. That's all the reason you wanted to do that. I just had to get the Cody drop in there. All right. What's uh, last or not? Not the one last thing yet, but we got to do this Stephanie Ready thing because you don't. You don't get a ton of Hornets covers there on the uh, the low post, Zach Lowe's Grantland podcast, so it's nice anytime uh, you get any Hornets coverage that way. He he does some interesting write-ups that definitely flare up fans. True. Uh, but uh, I haven't uh, seen or heard much on his podcast. What did you think of, first of all, Stephanie Reddy was on Zach Lowe's podcast. She's kind of doing a little bit of a, a press tour yeah. uh, since she it was announced that she will join the uh, Hornets a game booth uh, with Eric Collins. Oh my! The big man, Joshua Smith. Said, get what, out! Said, get out! I'm so excited for that. Yeah, three man booth. Um, and Th- three person booth. Three person booth. Correct. Thank you. Uh, the only one in the NBA. I think they hit on that in the podcast. I'm not. I mean, other it, than yeah, national, the regional. Yeah, they should be the only regional one to do that. Yeah, like Van Gundy, Breen, Breen and, and Jackson. Yeah. They but, they perfected it, I guess. But the regional, I don't think there's a three man, three person group. Hey, listen, it's tough because that we haven't seen this before. This is the first time. But I think her or she and Dell, um, and she mentioned this in the low podcast. They complement each other well, so they have a lot of obviously off air discussions, and this will just be a peek into those. So I think that will be a good duo. I think so. And then you have Eric, who will come in and do play-by-play, play, but also it seems like he can – that's one – you know, honestly, you know I love Steve Martin. We love Steve Martin. Love Steve Martin. Who you'll still hear on the radio. Right. I, I want to get that out of the way. Yeah. But I will say this. I think Eric, with all those Kimball Walker last-second shots, I think Eric could come in and just give a little, a little something new. Just a little something new it'll on be, these. It'll be a little different flavor for sure. You can see different. what they were going for when they hired him. Yeah. We'd love to talk to him. I mean, I'd well, love to. We'd love to. <laughs> oh, my! The big man, Joshua Smith. Say, get, get out! All right. Um, oh, maybe that wasn't Josh Smith. It, no, it wasn't. It was, okay. it, was a, it was a Georgetown game. It was Joshua Smith. Our Josh Smith. It was It was a Joshua. No, it was a college game. I don't okay. think he's ever done NBA before. I think this is uh, – he's done college football. He's done college basketball. Uh, perhaps some crew. I don't know. One thing they didn't talk about, (laughs) I assume they'll have a sideline reporter, right, still for the Hornets network, but it it couldn't be Stephanie. That's a great question. They got to put somebody in there. Yeah, maybe they just have, they they probably just haven't announced it yet. Stay tuned for that. Okay, so Stephanie Reddy on this podcast, she had two interesting things that she said that I want to talk about. Let's play the first, uh, Zach Lowe commenting on or or asking her about some of the comments on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media uh, after it was announced that she would join the booth. Some of it was good. And as is always the case with, with these kind of things, some of it was very bad. Here's what uh, Here's what she had to say. And I've been in this situation before where I've been the only woman in a male-dominated world, so I, I kind of take it with a grain of salt. You're never going to please everybody. That's just the way life is. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter who your friends and family are. No, you're, There's no way you can make 100% of the people happy all of the time. So my motto has always been just be myself. So if you didn't know, Stephanie Reddy was a D-League coach. She coached the uh, the Greenville 
Groove. That was that was nice. I'm uh, sweating a little bit. <laughs> um, championship. Coached them to a D-League championship. Yep. She had some interesting – by the way, go listen to this podcast uh, after you get done listening to ours because she had some interesting stories about coaching in the D-League. Um, but what this tells me is what I kind of already knew just from interacting with her uh, both on social media and I, I've met her is that she's just so strong. Like she just she, – she takes these things as they come and she doesn't get too flustered by by these kind of things and – she does a great job of interacting with fans on on Twitter and on social media. She uses it to her advantage. And, you know, she's just, she's like I said, she's the consummate pro. Yeah, one thing they didn't hit on that, again, we'd love to, we'd love to, you know. We would love to talk to her. Bend her ear and, and talk to her. But at least from my perspective on social media, there was a lot of support from Hornets fans in the Charlotte community about mm-hmm. about her her ascension into the into this new role. So I think, and it sounded like she she typically receives pretty good feedback, and and I think that community of Hornets fans in particular, at least it's something that that I see. It could be just my timeline or my my well, follows, listen, but the fans that we interact with, our fans are hardcore Hornets fans. Yeah. They're smart basketball people. So yeah, we don't you know interact w- w- with. And and it's sort of my Twitter policy. Like if somebody attacks us personally or or says something negative, I'm just I just ignore it because I just if like sometimes I'll type a response and go this is not worth it. And I think she probably has the same attitude. It's like sure. this is not worth. She says it. I think even she says something like who has the who like takes the time to write something like that on the internet and put it out there. It just doesn't make any sense. So again, if if you if during the season you see Stephanie Reddy uh, or or hear her in the booth and you tweet anything that's not basketball related, just don't, just don't. If, if you think to tweet that's something that's not basketball related, just don't do it. Don't tweet it. Don't I'm happy for her. I think it's a great move, and uh, she's going to do great. One other thing she said, uh, she talked about her preparation. Again, she was a coach in the D-League, and she talked about her preparation as she transitions from sideline reporter to now uh, to to going into the booth. Film. Film is my best friend. I mean, I was taught a long time ago, when you're coaching a game, you have to approach the game knowing what your matchups will be because basketball is a game of exploiting matchups. That's what you want to do. That's why you want to – draw the double team so that you can end up finding the open person. So I look at each position, who will be matched up with who, and the potential sub. And that's important because if the opponent makes the sub before we do, you kind of want to know how we will counter that substitution. You know, you want to know where you can find the advantage at each individual matchup. And I did that as a coach, and I'll continue to do that as an analyst. You know, I listen to that. And then I recall things that Steve Clifford has had to say in his uh, few years being here. And I think, you know, we're, we have a pretty lucky pocket of basketball here in Charlotte. Not a lot of people know about it, but smart basketball people in the booth. Dell's a smart basketball guy. Clifford, will, oh, will yeah. you will learn something when you hear him speak. Uh, you may not agree with what he says, but but he gives actual reasoning behind the things that he does. And then when you hear Reddy just talk about, 
the the film that she watches and and again she has a coach's perspective yep yep and she's uh she is so smart about basketball too you're right i mean another thing they mentioned was she would be almost in the huddle you know as a sideline reporter if anybody's watched the hornets games which we know a lot of you have you'll recognize she comes out of those timeouts and says exactly what's going to happen or 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 what the hornets are are trying to get so um she's uh she's been a she's been great for the hornets so far and i think it'll be really good the other thing they mentioned was you know there's a lot of homerism that goes on in the nba and on some of these regional uh teams broadcast and I, I think Zach Lowe was right in that the Hornets do is just as good a job as anyone, if not the best, at you know being professional about it and presenting it, um, the game. Obviously, you're doing it for the team, but uh, not putting that extra spin of homerism on there, which I admit I find uh, uh, funny and enjoyable a lot of the time, but it, it can get out of hand real fast. Absolutely. Um, just going back to calling the calling the play before it happened, they kind of joked about you know. What if someone on the other team is listening? But <laughs> I want to, yeah, I want to know the one that she saw, not with Clifford, <laughs> but she's been here for almost what eleven years. There's <laughs> got it. There have to have been some Bobcats and Hornets plays that she's thought. Mm, Wait know. a minute, Mike, Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike. No, I, I thought she was going to say, you know, one of the coaches would glance up at her or something, and like <laughs> look at you know a little eye contact for like an approving nod or 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 a shake off or something. Mike may have. Oh, poor Mike. We kid. We love you, Mike. Um, yeah. All right. A uh, couple minutes left here. We're actually we're kind of in Hive Talk Live overtime. That's okay. But uh, time for one last thing. The Hornets. Uh, speaking of Zach Lowe, he uh, puts together a top thirty ranking of the NBA logos. This came out today. Well, post Labor Day. Again, we're in the we're still in the doldrums, David. We're still we're still trying to find some things. Yeah, they did mascots and they did court. I think they did courts last year. They did courts. You're right. And the Hornets got some. I think it was number one. Probably be the Bucks this year, man. That Bucks court looks pretty sweet. Yeah. All right, but the Hornets logo ranked number two. Number two. How do you feel about that? I was surprised. It's a new logo. You know, so you would it think it beat out Boston. It beat out Los Angeles. Tri- it beat out everyone except for one, the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, which but, I don't. I honestly would have would have thought that like a Boston or an LA or something a little more NBA historic would have made it. I'm not saying the Bulls is a bad logo. I'm just well, saying you I just saw don't. there was a theme going through that that all the teams with that basically was a basketball with the team name slapped on top of it. They didn't like it, they, which is know. Los and Angeles. It, well, it, it, we should say it was mostly low. It was and, low. And he, it was he had consulted. Preference. It was to a point, but he had consulted yeah. design experts as well. But let's talk about the Hornets logo. I personally, I love the 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 first logo, the the main logo, bouncing Hugo. No, you're talking about the new. new I'm logo. talking about yeah. the new logo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Fierce Hugo. F- right now, what I don't like is the the new old Hugo, like the one where he's kind of grinning now. Right, it's a little creepy. I don't really like that one. I wonder how they skated that one past the uh, the it, logo it, police. There's like a couple of changes, like, yeah, and it's alternate. It that's probably it's probably like you can you can't do like a main logo that's that yeah, close to a legacy logo. You can't use the legacy logos because the NBA says you can't use those because they're already. Using well, they want to make that merch money. Yeah, that's fine. 
you'll see something similar with that with the Hawks. They have a very very similar looking logo to the to the Pac Man logo. So they brought that back with a few tweaks, slight tweaks, and that was the main logo, right? But I uh, I think I mean we've all, we've liked this logo from the beginning. It is good. Um, it's different. It has like a triangle yeah. shape. You, you know, a lot of these logos are round. All the logo. That's I mean the secondary logo is good too with the little arched hornet stinger from the side view. Yep, I like that, that one. That was a good description. <laughs> that was a great description. Uh, no, I, I think it's again. It was just a, a another good example of of some uh, well done rebrands. Yeah, good job. So again, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, guys. If you missed that uh, great interview that we did with Adi Joseph, uh, amazing stuff there, talking about uh, some of the Hornets off season decisions, uh, MKG, and much much more. Check that out on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you can listen to us live every Tuesday. We're on a regular season schedule now at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, we're going to start doing Saturday shows. A couple of interviews here and there we'll start, and then once we get in, once we get like full force into the season, I feel like we'll do a lot more of those Saturday shows. So there's a lot much, uh, there's, there's much, much more coming from Hive Talk Live as we, as we get started, but uh, it's exciting. I mean, again, David, we're so close. In the season, I can smell it. It's right here. I mean, once you, once Panthers start playing, then you start going, okay, yeah, September's 1st and then October. I do remember. I do remember kindergarten. I do remember how the calendar works, and and NBA 2K comes out September what 29th, 25th, something like that. Yeah, oh. I think so. Oh, we're getting so you close. ready? I'm ready. Oh, I've, well, I've already updated my raw. I'm playing with the current Hornets now. Batum, by the way. You very, got a bad. You got a bad, bro. Batum is very fun to play with. All right, guys. Uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. Uh, we're gonna start our uh, division breakdowns. I don't know who we're going to start with yet, but we're going to start those next week as well. So until then, for David and for producer Katie, we'll see you next time. Let's swarm, Charlie.